0: I'm Danielle, joined by Brenton and Jessica this week. Hello. Hello. There you go. Thanks for joining us for our Honorable Mention this month as we take the opportunity to talk about a great film that just missed out on being on the IMDb's list of the best movies of all time. This month, rated at 7.9 out of 10 on the Internet Movie Database by millions of film lovers from around the world, is Harry Potter and the Prisoner of Azkaban. Released in 2004, starring Daniel Radcliffe, Emma Watson, and Rupert Grint as the three leads, Harry Potter is a young adult fantasy series set in the early 90s between England and Scotland. This is the third movie of eight total in the series, made between 2001 and 2011, based on the novel series by J.K. Rowling of seven books published between 1997 and 2007. The movie is directed by Alfonso Caron.
1: So, the fact that we've got Jessica here today is because all three of us have read through the series. So, this is kind of episodes kind of for people who might love the movies but might not, not necessarily have seen the books. So, I just wanted to say full spoilers about the entire series and what happens in the books from here on. Um, and we did a very good comparison with Harry Potter and Lord of the Rings on the episode on the two towers because there's a lot of traits. More so than just they're both fantasy things and they both have elves and shit.
0: Very disappointed that my favourite series from childhood ripped off Lord of the Rings so heavily. But anyway. It's very...
1: Yes. Yeah. Have you guys read The Cursed Child? The screenplay or the...
0: No. I started to and I haven't finished it.
1: It was weird. I started to as well and I'm like, I don't really like this.
0: Did she write it?
1: Yes. And she's writing the screenplay for the five Fantastic Beasts movies. Have you guys seen any of those?
0: Just make, just write books.
1: Yeah. I don't know why, like, she says that she loves writing and, and writing in this world. Why don't you make the Fantastic Beasts into novels and then they'll inevitably mm. turn them into movies anyway, instead of just mm-hmm. going straight to movies.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Yeah. I think she definitely should have explained that Dumbledore is gay. That's not explained in any of the books. Yeah. Because she just said it on Pottermore, like, oh, it's, it's a definite, it, absolutely. It,
0: I think it's it, just like, she's just thrown that into like, please a community. Well, I
1: didn't think it was.
0: I feel like you look back and you're like, oh yeah, it fits, it makes sense. But it wasn't super obvious. I don't think it was. There wasn't stuff pointing to it, ever.
1: So technically, Prisoner of Azkaban is our honourable mention this month because there's only one of the eight movies are currently in the IMDB's top 250, and that is Deathly Hallows Part 2. Okay. So the point of the Honourable Mentions is movies that really should deserve to be in the top 250, and I think that Prisoner of Azkaban is the highest rated one that's not currently in there, so...
0: Why is it that you think that Deathly Hallows Part 2 is in there, but the Prisoner of Azkaban isn't?
1: I think it's just because people liked the conclusion. I think the general fans Mm. liked the way it was concluded, so everyone rated it quite highly.
0: Fair enough. End to an error. Yeah, I honestly think though that Prisoner of Azkaban is probably the most cinematically well done movie in the entire series.
1: Yeah, cinematographically, it's definitely one of the better ones. It's mm-hmm. interesting to get someone like Alfonso Cuarón to do this because you don't usually get many big directors. Like this is the guy who did Gravity and Roma. I also think that this the third one is a pivotal point in the series, from when it goes from like a Childlike sort of fantasy movies to like really dark and more adult. Mm. Because by the time you get to Goblet of Fire, it actually starts to get really quite dark, and then obviously a lot more before the end of the series. But I think Prison of Azkaban is really quite fun, and it's one of the funnier ones. Like, there's a lot of jokes in yes. it. Yes. Um, the sixth one's actually pretty funny as well. There's a lot of jokes in that. Uh, I really quite like the third one. I'd like to take this opportunity to break down the whole movie series and just go through very briefly and talk about what we liked and didn't like about all eight of the films okay so two weeks from today we have an episode releasing on the marvel cinematic universe and in that episode i had said that i can't really think of a property that has a better casting because everyone in the mcu is casted very perfectly and Until we started to really think critically about the Harry Potter series. And I've written down... There's two lists in front of you. Um, yes. If you wanted to go through them, if you, you, if you care. Um, but the first one is all of the actors that are in it that are either won an Oscar or have been nominated for an Oscar. And there's quite a lot. Um, I just think that at the time that these movies were released, the best of British talent was in these movies. Like You couldn't get better casting in some of these movies. There's some there's just some really good people working on this whole series.
0: I feel like anybody who is anybody in British film or television is in this series. Yeah, that's mm, what I was trying to say. Definitely. Yeah. I love that it's like Dawn French fat lady painting. Ah, uh, yeah.
1: Yeah, the fat lady painting. Did you want to look through
0: the list? We could. So in the top list, so Oscar winners, we've got Maggie Smith as Professor McGonagall. I oh, feel I like I we- love her. She's she's so incredible.
1: I haven't seen her in a lot of other stuff.
0: You know what you need to see her in is Downton Abbey as Lady Grantham. Why I think I like her so much is, like, I love Professor McGonagall. Like, she's just such an amazing character. Like, she's so, like, a nan that you wish that you had. Like, you know what I mean? Yeah, I think so. But also, she's, like, total hard-ass at the same time. Rough as shit.
1: Yeah, she's a good character.
0: Emma Thompson as Professor Trelawney is perfect. I did
1: not realize that that was her for the longest time. It's the glasses and the hair.
0: What else is she in? Emma Thompson. Yeah, like, I, I don't recognise her name, but I'd probably recognise her movies. Oh. I'm very bad with names. She's...
1: She was in a few things in the 90s, which she got two Oscars for, Sense and Sensibility. Um, She was in Love Actually. She was even yeah. in Men in Black 3 and 4. She's in a lot. She was in that uh, Stranger Than Fiction movie.
0: You'd recognise her if you You'd saw know. her. Oh, yep. Kenneth Branagh is married to Emma Thompson.
1: He was for a long time.
0: All right. Interesting. He is Gilderoy Lockhart. He, I, but a dick. I didn't as like the that character.
1: character. Yeah, I quite like Kenneth Branagh though.
0: I honestly feel like because that was the first role I'd ever seen him in from a young person, like as a as a child, when I watched Chamber of Secrets, and so I feel like that's solidified for me in my mind that like I don't like this guy, so I don't like this actor. Yeah, <laughs> which isn't quite fair, but but you make that. Like, that leap and that connection at quite a young age, it kind of sticks to you It, a bit. it does. Yeah. So I just always think, oh, he's such a dick. Sorry. Not quite fair, but, you know. Uh, Richard Harris as Professor Dumbledore. Is that the first Dumbledore or the That's second Dumbledore?
1: That's the first Dumbledore?
0: Dumbledore. I thought he was perfect. Then he died.
1: We watched Gladiator recently, and uh, I didn't realize that he was in that. He's, he's the Emperor of Rome. And that was about a year before he was in Philosopher's Stone. I hadn't really seen him in anything else.
0: He was sick. Hey, like, and you can tell, yeah. Um, like, because when he was playing Marcus Aurelius, he looked a lot more stronger and with it than he ever did as Professor Dumbledore. Plus, like, didn't Maggie Smith go through breast cancer during oh, I'm the not series? Sure. I'm confident that she did. Like, she was unwell for a couple of the movies. I had hmm. a clue. Gary Oldman as Sirius Black. Love That's it. That's perfect. I love perfect. that. Perfect. I love Gary yep. Oldman. Rafe finds as Voldemort from. The Goblet of Fire onward, right? Yes. Yes. He is perfect.
1: He is, but I don't particularly like the depiction of Voldemort.
0: Yes, really.
1: Because in the books he was he was really something to be feared, mm. and in the movies they were trying to lean into that snake like person that is described in the books, and mm-hmm. he just seems like this slimy. Look at me, I'm Voldemort. Yeah, and he's just like yeah, I don't know. He's kind of weird depiction. I don't think it's anyone's fault. It's the best they could have done.
0: I think, like, the movies don't really portray him as this ruthless, like, soulless person that he is in the books. Like, in the books, there's a few moments where he just, like, absolutely destroys people over the smallest things, and in the movies, you don't quite get to see that. Like, it's just based off his reputation, Mm. that you know that Voldemort is, like, like Brenton said, like, someone to be feared and, like, has, like, a high status of... Evil. Evil, sure. Yeah. Satanic feeling, I guess. Yeah, I think too, and I mean it's it's hard because we've all read the books and we're all fans of the books, so we're biased. Um, but like I think part of that comes down to like what do you pick to show in a movie, you know? But yeah, the, the fact that majority of the fan base of Harry Potter have all read the books. Mm. So we all already know who Voldemort is where he's come from, like, and the progression of his character alone throughout the books. But the movie is just solely, I feel, relies on the fan base to have already read the book. Well, and I I've said that right from the word go. There's so many instances where it's like, well of course I know what's going on. I read the books. That's Whereas exactly right. If you hadn't like I couldn't imagine going through and watching these without having read them. You'd be so yep. lost. Yeah. Especially from probably Goblet of Fire onward. Yes. It it doesn't definitely. lay it out for you anymore. Um, Helena Bonham Carter as Bellatrix Lestrange. Mm. I love her so much in this role. Yeah, she is so perfect. Julie Walters as Molly Weasley. I quite like her as well. John Cleese is nearly headless Nick. I didn't That's realize. Perfect. Yeah, I didn't realize that who he was for the longest time.
1: Yeah, because it was before you watched Monty Python or Faulty Towers.
0: So since discovering monty python and falling in love with monty python i just think i think it's such a great homage to like british comedy that, that mm. he got to be in this mm. because it's such a huge comedic like role yeah and it's such a huge pop culture phenomenon i'm like i'm glad that he's in there john hurt as mr Ollivander, small role but it works it is, quite well
1: but john hurt is a classic actor now he still currently holds the record for most amount of deaths depicted on film and in television, um, which most people think that Sean Bean has that because he's notorious for it. John Hurt has died nearly 50 times on screen. But, um, and oddly enough, he doesn't die as Ollivander in the series. Um, but I wanted to mention that because he's a very well-known actor um, and I'm very glad that he got to be in this very big British series, even if it was a small role.
0: He does mm. die in the series, doesn't he? he? He In like the seventh one.
1: I don't think he does at the seventh one. I think he gets tortured and he gets like locked up, but I don't think he dies.
0: Oh, I'm confident that he dies. I'm confident that he does, but okay. th- that it isn't shown in the movies. I think it's. Right, I, maybe
1: that's that. Maybe it's that. No,
0: I'm, I'm, I'm confident that even in the movie, it kind of fades away and it cuts away, but you know that. So technically, we, you're right, it's not on screen. We but see him kidnapped, and then that's kind of the last time we see him. Up until this point, Imelda Staunton as Dolores Umbridge. Okay. She plays it well. I feel bad for her because she is a much more attractive woman than the description in the books of that character allows. She was meant to be
1: like toad like and like gross to look at.
0: To be really like rude about it, I think Miriam Margolis, who plays. Uh, Professor Sprout would, yeah. like, fits the physical description a bit better than Emelda Staunton she's does. She's
1: a weird woman, that woman.
0: <laughs> I think that that's another, kind of hard, because I hate Dolores Umbridge. We all do. She's, she's one so of the much, best
1: villains in that's literature. That's exactly
0: right. Like You can't help but love the actress because she's done such an incredible job well, of, of, of not only making you hate Dolores Umbridge, but to carry it again through other, like, series and tv shows and Mm. movies that she's in that you're like i still hate you dolores yeah like it's stuck now you like you're her sorry like and i always say of the actors and of the author you wrote that character perfectly for me to fucking hate that bitch you know what i mean like you perfect character development and for that actress to be able to carry that out Like, great acting.
1: I believe Stephen King even praised her for that and said, Congratulations, you've made one of the best villains in literature.
0: Which is pretty high
1: praise, yeah. That's from Mm. Stephen King.
0: Jim Broadbent as Professor Slughorn. He's acted a lot more... He's more awkward and weird in the movies than I imagined him in the books. Right. Yeah. Like, he's got twitches and he's kind of odd and... I never imagined Professor Slughorn as odd. I just imagined him as a bit pompous. He was supposed to be really poised in the books, wasn't he? Yeah, Yeah. and he's just a little bit funny.
1: Marlin's beard.
0: I love that. I wish I could start saying that in life. Then why don't you? (laughs) I (laughs) don't know! No one's stopping you. (laughs) Um, Julie Christie as Madame Rosmerda. We We don't see her. We see her one time. Yeah. Who's Madame Rosmerda? She's the... Uh, the, the innkeeper at the Three Broomsticks in Hogsmeade. That's right, yeah, she's in Prisoner of Azkaban. I didn't know that was her name. Yeah. So there is a scene with her and Professor McGonagall and Minister for Magic, Cornelius Fudge, but it's it's not particularly important. She's kind of just... Honestly, a lot of these characters kind of make cameos, yeah. honestly, yeah. in the movie, because they had much bigger roles in the books that just can't be fit in. Mm. Otherwise, we'd have Lord of the Rings on our hands again. Yes. Um.
1: Is that the list of the Oscar winners and nominees?
0: That's the Oscar winners. Now, here's the rest who aren't Oscar winners, who I think deserve to be looked at. Alan Rickman as Professor Snape.
1: Um Lovely. you couldn't get a be- better casting than no.
0: that. No. Always perfect. Michael Gambon as Professor Dumbledore from Prisoner of Azkaban onward. You say, Brenton, that you think he was a better cast for Dumbledore.
1: Yeah, m- mostly... Well, I kind of like the old grandpa kind of feel of Richard Harris in the first two. However... I don't see him being able to do what Dumbledore does in some of the later movies and books physically. And, like, he doesn't feel like the all-powerful Dumbledore. He feels like he's too old and fragile.
0: Who played Gandalf? Ian McKellen. He would have... I mean, there's an obvious reason why he didn't play Dumbledore, because it just would have been way too fucking confusing. But I feel like he would have hit all the notes.
1: He was offered the role after Richard Harris died. But because he was literally doing um, Lord of the Rings at the time, he turned it down because he said it's going to be too confusing and too clashing for the audience.
0: Mm. But I think if... You he know, would have been good. That, he would have been good because he, he had that soft demeanor, but he also had the ability to be powerful and a badass. You know what I mean? So it, if circumstances had been different, I think he would have been a really good casting. Warwick Davis as Professor Flitwick. They change him. I
1: don't know why they changed him. He's He's really hairy and white-haired when, in the first two, and then from the third one onwards. Yeah.
0: He looks like a goblin, yes. almost. Yeah. yeah,
1: I don't know why they changed it. Maybe because it's just too weird and too annoying to do all the prosthetics and shit.
0: Probably. I
1: don't know. Can I just say... Yep. He's one of the only people to be in all three of the Star Wars trilogies.
0: Well, there you go. Yeah. Quite prolific. Robert Pattinson is Cedric Degree.
1: And that was before his Twilight years, wasn't it?
0: So nobody mm-hmm. knew who he was yet. Yeah. So you go back and then you're like, holy shit. Yeah. And That's- now he's going to remember- be Batman. Oh. That's just weird. I don't like that. I mean, let's not... I mean, I'm very intrigued to see what he does with it. Mm. And not to rule it out completely, he might nail it. I don't know. But
1: can yeah, I just we'll
0: say, complete tangent, Jared Leto is the worst Joker that, that was a weird ever pick. existed. Yeah. I hate it so much. I haven't seen it. I haven't seen it either. You're talking about Suicide Squad. Have you seen right? it? Yeah, yeah. Just. Yes, yes. yes.
1: Was it just cringy?
0: It was very, very cringy and so like try-hard. and like Jared Leto yeah, is a fantastic as. actor, you know, like artist in general. But he, I just really did not like it at all. And I understand that like the whole premise of Suicide Squad was it for it to be different and to take a new spin on things, but no, not yeah. for me. Anyway, back on track. I think Margot Robbie makes a good Harley Quinn, though. Anyway. She's a good cast. Brendan Gleeson as Mad-Eye Moody. Very mm, good. Yep. Yeah. You don't have Robbie Coltrane on this list.
1: No, I didn't. No. I think he's probably the most perfectly cast next to Snape.
0: Yeah. Robbie Coltrane plays Hagrid. Mm-hmm. He's perfect. Mm-hmm. He's perfect. And even Joe
1: Rowling said, like, you that was exactly who I was picturing. Like, the depiction of Hagrid is so accurate.
0: You also don't have... What's her name who plays Luna Lovegood?
1: Look, man, just go nuts. Ivana <laughs> Lynch, who played Lo- Luna Lovegood.
0: Apparently, her acting in the first movies that she was in actually influenced the writing of the character in s- subsequent books. That says something,
1: I Yeah. Think. It was kind of interesting because she was suffering from anorexia and she was in hospital.
0: Hmm.
1: And she had written quite a few letters to J.K. Rowling. Um, and she made a promise to her that, like... If you can beat this illness, I'll give you a role in the new movie. So it was her goal, and then she, you know, she auditioned like everyone else, but she got it, uh, and that's how she got into the movie. That's awesome. She was a massive fan who was in hospital. Yeah.
0: And she, she's like.
1: She's not bad. Like you wouldn't no. realize that she's not a professional actor.
0: Yeah, she she does it quite well. Domhnall Gleeson is that how you say his name? Domhnall. Okay.
1: I don't know. Ain't yeah.
0: Sounds Gaelic or something. Bill Weasley. He's been good in pretty much everything I've yeah, seen Yeah, he's in. Brendan
1: Weasley's son. Yeah. Uh, Brendan, Brendan Weasley? Brendan Gleeson. <laughs> fuck me. There you go.
0: <laughs> Timothy Spall as Peter Pettigrew. That's a good one. I hate that fuck. Yes. Uh, anyway. Bill Nighy as... Is he Cornelius Fudge? No, he's not.
1: He's the new Minister for
0: Magic. Oh, what's his name? He's in the seventh one. He's... He was quite good. Rufus Scrimgeier? Thank you. Yeah. Okay. It's... Bill Nye, Pretty good casting, I think. Uh, Miriam Margolis. I'm just going to say that's how you say her name. She's Professor Sprout. She is yeah. weird woman. We've seen her a couple times on um, Graham Norton.
1: She's very strange. Yeah. She's
0: completely inappropriate. Um, Reese Ifans is Xenophilius Lovegood. Again, quite a small role. Kind it of is works. a small role, yeah. Um, I've seen Loon's him quite a dad. few things, though. Yeah. Dawn French is the fat lady in the painting for Gryffindor Common Room.
1: And I think that's just like a cameo as well, because she was very big in the 90s in British comedy, so they were just throwing her a bone there and giving her a funny line or two. It
0: worked, though. It was good. She was good. Yeah. And then David Tennant as Barty Crouch Jr. He was fine.
1: Yeah, I put that one in there because uh, I think he's notable because he was um, Doctor Who for quite a while.
0: Oh, Ozzy. And some all people right. consider
1: him their favorite, you know.
0: Okay, fair enough. Righto. Yeah, so this is going to be a long episode, I think, yes. to go on a bit of a side note and go over all of our characters.
1: It It is such a big cast, and there's so many notable actors with such small roles.
0: So let's kind of dive into the actual movies now. So there's there's an obvious progression from the first movie, to the eighth movie, just as there was an obvious progression from the first book to the last book. And I thought it was interesting reading it because each subsequent movie is made for people of the age of that year. It
1: is, yeah. And the books are written that way as well, like you just said.
0: Yeah, so like the first book was quite small, but it was still really captivating and it it was super magical. Like, that's what I loved about the first book is you read it and you're getting introduced to all this stuff and it's all sparkly and shiny and new, Mm -hmm. um... And it's really shown very well in that first movie, especially when Harry and Hagrid go for the first time to Diagon Alley. Mm-hmm. I loved, I loved going to the set. Um, you haven't been, have you? Just could no. Brenton and I were both really lucky to get to go to the Universal Studios set outside of London, and Warner
1: Brothers Studios.
0: Oh, sorry, did I say Universal Studios? Yeah, sorry, Warner Brothers Studios outside of London. And it was so cool to go through that set. I was only sad. It didn't feel as bright as it looked in the movies. And of course, it, Yeah, it didn't feel as, like, lifelike. You know what oh, I mean? Oh, okay. Um,
1: yeah, they had all the costumes and the wands and the, all the props that they used in the yeah. movies.
0: But was, can we just say, like, when the first book came out, what was it, 97? Yes. Yes. I was one. So to think about the fact that, like, you know, maybe five... Six, seven years later, I picked up Harry Potter. So the lifespan of the first novel, like it's lustrous, lifelike, it's energy carried for seven years for someone to go, yep, I'm going to read this seven-year-old book. But then for it to carry, like so year after year after year, so people that read the first book when it came out and then they waited and picked up the second Mm. book and then they waited, for it to span ten years of someone being excited about a book release in a book drop that's fantastic writing yeah
1: and i don't think i've really experienced that since yeah yeah it was an event to go to the bookstore to get the new release whenever harry potter came out like it was unlike anything i've experienced
0: yeah and people like i remember seeing on the news you know it would be on the news when jk rowling did the midnight readings of each yeah. of the new book launches. Yep. you know like it was it was a huge deal huge thing um and you think about it now, like, it's still a huge thing. Like, like you know, Harry Potter plays plays the series on TV at least once a year. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And, you know, but going back, again, a decade since the first movie was released or whatever, if not more, I can't remember. But I know there are a lot of things that, you know, you read the book and you're like, oh, well, you didn't try too hard in this point, or this kind of feels a little bit like that. But it's still, together collectively, a fantastic series, you know, it still carries energy now yeah like small children are like i'm gonna read harry potter yeah, well, man. and some of like one of the coolest things i think about this series is that there's only one instance where it's dated so that's why
1: yeah which is why i think it works
0: yes because you can pick it up and you can be like this could be happening now there's yeah. nothing to say that it's not and so i remember when i read um
1: i think it was until the seventh one
0: yes it's the dates on his parents tombstones and i was like what? No. You mean this all happened already? No. When was it supposed to... What what were the dates again? It was... The
1: Battle of Hogwarts was meant to be 1997. So Harry was born in 80, 81? I think it was 81. But that's the only time you've really had the dates was in the seventh book, and then it's like, it puts context in it.
0: And it just, to me, like, that just threw it for me. Personally, I was like, no, I just prefer to think that They died at some point, and I don't need to know when. You know what I mean? Um, It took me out of it, personally. However, we have talked about how understanding that the movies are set in the 90s actually makes stuff make a little bit more sense.
1: Yeah, once you rewatch it, it's kind of obvious that it's set in the early 90s. Um, I always just thought, oh, you know, it's just an English countryside or something, you know what I mean, like a suburbia. Um, But it's kind of obvious now that you look back at it, just from the fashion and the technology and stuff.
0: And it works. Um
1: I just yeah, this this really was a defining series, book and movie of our like generation. A hundred instantly became a modern classic.
0: It kinda makes me sad that the younger generations won't experience that excitement that us as like nineties kids did. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? Like yeah. like Brenton said, it's like or as you said, as you can remember it being on the news, and you can remember like the excitement of the book coming out. Like, what kid these days is like, oh my god, there's a no book! Like, let's I go know. get it! Like, I wrote to J.K. Rowling, and I got a letter back, and I was pretty <laughs> fucking excited about it. Oh yeah, it was a form letter, so it wasn't like actually, because she gets millions. I was gonna right? say, how do you know she chose you? But but she's it's still I still got a letter back. It's That's in exciting. My keepsake. Do you still have book. It? Yeah, it's at my mom's house. I remember I got it. I was, like, 12 or something, and I'm like, who the hell is writing to me from Scotland? Hogwarts. Yeah. So, yeah, I opened it, and was like, oh, my God. It was super cool. It was super cool. You were expecting it to be a letter of acceptance. No, because I had written to her.
1: That would be cool if I had a little Hogwarts seal on the back.
0: That would be awesome. Oh, my God. You probably can't do that because you'll give all these children heart attacks. I can
1: hear you (laughs) gleaming over there.
0: Me? (laughs) You're like, ooh. You should see it. (laughs) So we haven't actually talked about any of the movies yet. Yeah,
1: so the thing that I think makes the first one so magical is it brought to life all the interesting things that were described in the book, right? Yeah. But I think this series was really brilliant in taking old mythology and lore as to what is witches and witchcraft and fantasy And put them in sort of a real-life setting. How do broomsticks work and how do wands work, you know? And you have to take charms and potions. There's cauldrons. Like, everyone has a cat or an owl or something, you know? It was really well done.
0: Like, how amazing that you take this archetype of the witch with a broom and you make a sport out of it Mm. in Quidditch, you know? And I always thought to myself, God, you're such a dork, because that was the only sport in high school that I understood all the rules <laughs> wow yeah <laughs> wow oh god <laughs> but just the um, idea
1: of a school for witches and wizards yeah. like that I hadn't really heard of that before the idea of witches and wizards obviously had been around for centuries but like where did you learn it all where did your parents learn it all, all Harry? Right. in a big castle somewhere you know it's like a very interesting theory
0: yeah she took it and she just she rolled with it and made it f- fun, and made it engaging the tropes of, like, what a witch is in a really fun way.
1: As in, like, the pointy hats and the robes.
0: Yeah, how she fits them and weaves them into a modern society quite well. Yeah. I wanted to talk a bit about, as someone who knows a bit about contemporary witchcraft and traditional witchcraft, so as a, like, spirituality and religion, I think... I wanted to talk about how she'd actually incorporated some of the lesser-known elements of witchcraft as well. So, things like runes.
1: I thought you would say runes.
0: Yeah, so Hermione does an ancient runes class, which is really interesting, and they're part of the Norse tradition of witchcraft. Things like...
1: You liked the way that it incorporated actual witchcraft.
0: So, all of those things like the broom, the cauldron the hat, the cat, the potions. Those are things that do have an actual spiritual basis. The wand, obviously. I just, I like the way she she took those things and made them fun.
1: Well, I think she made witches and wizards. Well, maybe not so wizards, but witches were like villainous creatures. Like yeah. they weren't something to aspire to become or they weren't fun. And she, she's completely changed it forever honestly, Mm -hmm. like the definition of what this character could be, what is this creature, you know what I mean? And she's done that with quite a few. Like, I think Tolkien's representations of what elves are is very different to everything other elf sort of representation. He's sort of changed what a dark elf could be, you know what I mean? Mm -hmm. And I really, you're a very big cultural impact when you're able to do that with your works. Uh, And I think she will go down in history like Tolkien has.
0: I just like what she did with it. She took something yeah. that was misunderstood. And, and it's she, all throughout. She transformed it in a way that I think still pays respectful homage to what it was originally, is what I'm trying to say.
1: She brilliantly created her own world.
0: Yes. And it's so interesting to me, too, because you, you hear her say in the interview, she said one day the idea just walked fully formed into her head when she was on the train from London. Mm, yeah. It's like, huh? How does this just pop into your head, you know? But it's amazing.
1: It took her like six years to write that first book just because there was so much planning and yeah. foreshadowing.
0: Well, she'd have had to have mapped out the entire trajectory of the story first.
1: She did, yeah.
0: Like, I could just imagine you've got these cork boards on your wall with the strings and everything, you know, like figuring out how stuff's connected. And um, Well, I
1: I wrote down a bit of a list here. Full spoilers, obviously, Um, as to a bunch of things that are shown in the first one or two movies that aren't explained until the very last book or the very last movie. And I think that is really good foreshadowing. Um, And it makes
0: it fun for the readers. Yeah, because it's it's like, oh my god, I knew it! Yeah. Um, Anyways, go for your list.
1: Um, So there's the fact that Harry can talk to snakes. Yep. Mm. That's obviously the link that he had with Voldemort, which isn't explained until I think the fifth one where they're like oh, It's not an-
0: even introduced till the fifth one. It's not introduced till the yeah. fifth one, but
1: fully explained until the seventh one. Um and he's talking to snakes as early as this first movie in the first book. I think the first movie is very accurate. To the first book, because it was a pretty short book.
0: Yeah, I was just going to say
1: that. So it's a pretty good representation. And the second one is as well. And they're long movies. Like, they're almost three hours long. I didn't realize how long they were until we watched them again. Mm. Um, The fact that Dumbledore has his deluminator in the very first scene, it's like, what is that and how does that work?
0: And it's also like, well, why are you using a deluminator when you can just, like, whip some magic around?
1: yeah. So it's kind of interesting just just showing that visually. Um, the fact that Harry gets his invisibility cloak, like what is that and where did it come from? I was never really understood that until the last one, at least.
0: And the thing for me that was kind of like mind-blowing that I only just realized since we've been watching these again is that there was one point where Dumbledore had... He didn't have all three Deathly Hallows, but he had access to all three. Yeah. Well, that's that, it. it is in that... Um, where he gets the invisibility cloak because that's when he he's obviously had all three of these Deathly Hallows, which you find out later on in the books mm. when he's searching for all the Horcruxes and stuff like that. And then he gives it to Harry, so he's yeah. had all three of them when Harry gets the. Well, he didn't have the ring yet. He didn't get the ring until the fifth book.
1: Did the ring have the resurrection stone on it? Yes. The Horcrux ring.
0: Yes. You sure? Yes. Okay. Ten percent. Okay. Yep. Um. So he had the ring, he had the wand, and he knew that Harry had the cloak, so if he ever needed it, he could just...
1: Yeah, but for 11 years, James had that cloak, right? And then he gave it to Dumbledore, and then Dumbledore had it for 11 years? Is that what Don't happened? And then bad. he gave it to Harry? Yep. Okay.
0: But he didn't have the ring yet at that Right, time.
1: yeah. I'm just saying, like, that's really good foreshadowing.
0: Yeah.
1: Why Voldemort is between life and death, like, that's obviously because he's used these horcruxes, and he split Mm. his soul, and that's not really shown with anyone else because no one else is really using horcruxes. It's either life or death. Um, And Voldemort is the only one who's really between the two, and Mm -hmm. it's not really explained why until the sixth one.
0: Yeah, because he's just kind of an essence for a while, and you don't understand why. You're like, oh, it's magic. It must just be magic stuff. But there's actually a reason for it.
1: A really brilliant twist in Deathly Hallows is why Snape despises Harry. Yeah. That's got some really big weight behind it.
0: I can't actually remember. It's because he looks like his dad.
1: Well, yeah, and he really didn't like his dad and he loved Lily, obviously. So, looking at Harry, he sees both he was Lily and reminded James. Yeah. Of, yeah. He was reminded that he hated James and he managed to get with Lily and you know, he's just a product of this relationship that Snape despised.
0: Yeah. Heavy.
1: Why did Voldemort actually kill Harry's parents? Because they were auras?
0: Because of the prophecy.
1: The, okay. So the prophecy was that someone born at the end of July would come and kill me.
0: Yeah, so he made a point of going, like, because it's talked about in the books, it could have been Harry or it could have been Neville.
1: Yeah, which is why Neville's parents were killed as well.
0: Yes. Which is really right. interesting, right? So, basically, Voldemort put all of those cogs in motion. Yeah. If he had just... Left it. Left, he probably never would have died. Yeah. He would have continued on his reign, but him making the decision to seek out the prophet mm-hmm. is what, in turn, caused his demise. Yeah. Yeah. Did that answer your question, though, Brenton? Yes. Yes. It's because the prophecy said it's supposed to be this person. So he was he was going to kill Harry. And in the process, of course, you're going to kill the parents because you're Voldemort and they're going to try and stop you and blah. And mm-hmm. Yeah. So well, fine. the one thing that I never really got in the books and in the movies is that it's briefly explained why Harry is the only person that has survived the killing curse. Mm-hmm. It's because of this, this love charm that Lily had placed on him. I don't... Because I think it's said that, like her sacrificing her life for Harry's is the purest form of love mm-hmm. so it created this protection protection around him I I've never really understood that part I think that's one of those things where as readers we've had to say it doesn't it's kind of hokey and it doesn't make sense but we'll just go with it yeah. cuz I'm kind of with you
1: Well I think there's a few things that we've done on this series where it's been hard for me to be really critical because I have nostalgia for it and I really love yeah. it. And even though I love this book and movie series and I'm filled with nostalgia with it, I can very easily say that it's just full of flaws. Like, even the book had holes in it, and yeah. J.K. Rowling has come out and said, Yeah, but it's not as fun if you try to, like, fix you know, something. either be nitpicky or try and fix them all. Like, just sort of go with it. Most of the main plot holes are filled, but they're definitely, you can definitely still find them.
0: Yeah, Yeah. So in that point where Lily sacrifices herself for, I know they called him James, um, Harry, Mm -hmm. when he tries to kill Harry, Mm. there's blowback. So then Harry becomes a Horcrux, right? Yeah. Like, I was just thinking about that. He's tried to kill him. It didn't work. And so I think what happened is, because Brenton was asking, well, how come he didn't make a Horcrux every time he killed someone? He's killed hundreds of people. He only purposefully took that severed bit of his soul and put it into an object six times. The seventh time was Harry unintentionally.
1: No, Harry was the eighth.
0: Well, there's... No, there's seven horcruxes with including Harry.
1: I didn't think it was including Harry.
0: I thought it was including Harry. It is including Harry. Oh, okay. Here we go again. It's the book, the ring, the locket, the cup, the crown, the snake, and Harry. That's seven. Yes. Okay. So what I think happened is he goes to kill him, it bounces back and doesn't work, and because but because it- he's already between life and death, yeah. it splits his soul again. Yeah, or it takes a bit that's been split and well, that- puts it in him unintentionally.
1: Well, that was my question, because in the sixth one, he says in order to split the soul, you murder. Um, yeah. And I think Voldemort's killed a lot more than seven people. Why is his soul so not split every time?
0: Is if- it is. If you have the intention and you murder someone your soul is already damaged so if your soul is damaged it's more likely to be split because the integrity is less yes and he just right like it's split every time but the intentional putting it into an object only happens when you want it to except in the case of harry where it happened because the the curse bounced back so something had to happen so it put a bit of his soul in him instead of killing him Mm -hmm. that makes sense to me
1: I think it's really interesting that they show a Horcrux as early as the second one, and it's not really explained what kind of magic that is until the sixth one.
0: Yeah, and it's just really interesting that, again, with the foreshadowing, he's killed it with the Basilisk Fang. Yeah. Right? So he doesn't even know what he's done.
1: Yes. what was the significance with that?
0: That's one of the only things that can destroy destroy Horcrux. What, what, What was the other one? It was the... It was Basilisk, Venom, and... The steel. No, because the, the, he killed the basilisk with the sword. Sword, with, sword. With the sword, yeah. Which it takes on that, which makes it stronger. So yeah. he
1: he unintentionally created a weapon to destroy Horcruxes.
0: Yeah. Well, and even in the last book, Ron and Hermione go down to the chamber and get all these fangs to start stabbing stuff.
1: That's a cool scene. Yeah. Because it's got, like, the old skeleton there, yeah.
0: Wait, does it ever explain why the basilisk is even down there? And- yeah, it's because... Um, in the second book, they're talking about, um, Salazar Slytherin. He only wanted Hogwarts to be a school for pure-blooded wizard students, but the other founders didn't agree with him, so he said, well, fuck you, I'm leaving, but he created the chamber so that he could house his monster so that when the timing was right, he can do his genocide, his muggle-born genocide. Yeah, clean out What the was Hogwarts. it eating for all those years? Dead! Pff,
1: rats. What? Did you say dead?
0: Yeah. <laughs> Where was who all those years? I said, wh- what was the basilisk eating for all those years? All the rats. You think that <laughs> giant monster is going to survive? I don't know, Jessica. We'll see. Flawless.
1: You gotta think about these things.
0: It had all those rat skeletons down there. Hmm, okay.
1: There was a lot of skeletons, yeah. Maybe it's just all the half-borns that he's been taken over the centuries and no one's noticed.
0: Probably. Could be that. Could be that. I'm with I'm with you. There's a big snake under the school, and nobody knows. About yeah, it. I, I hear you. Yeah. What was with the petrifying again? It's because none of the people actually looked it in the eye.
1: Oh, that was such like a big as if like oh they had to happen to be looking at water and looking through glass and looking at a mirror. Um, it happened like four or five times.
0: None of the people who got petrified looked at the snake's eyes they never looked it directly in the eye they only saw a reflection or like through nearly headless nick and like harry said nick's already a ghost he can't die again so
1: well there was the one kid who looked through the camera lens right yep so that's just looking through glass so wouldn't harry be safe because he's wearing glasses
0: no we (sighs) talked about that because
1: (laughs) what (laughs) it's a genuine question
0: Such a simple protection. You can't kill me. I'm wearing glasses. <laughs>
1: exactly right. It's got safety glasses on.
0: No, we talked about it. Cameras have mirrors. In them. Right,
1: so it has to be a reflection.
0: Okay, but yeah. where was all this petrifying in the first one? Because you... the basilisk, that whole concept, still would have been around in the first one, right?
1: Um, there was something about the air returning, which is the fact that the diary came back to Hogwarts in the second one is what sparked all of this.
0: Yes, because, well, because I remember thinking that when I was reading, I'm like, Ginny's not the heir yeah. of Slytherin. Yeah. No, it's that she's.
1: Voldemort's the heir, right?
0: Yeah, she's the vessel that the memory of Tom Riddle is working through. That's what it is. You know what I mean? And so the the fact that the diary is back, the the bit of Voldemort that's in the diary is the heir.
1: Would you guys say Voldemort or Voldemort? Because it was meant I say to Voldemort. not pronounce the T. the intention but no one really sticks to that
0: i think i used to say voldemort and now i say voldemort just because the movies yeah
1: i think it's interesting that the from the very first one they don't explain why you can't say voldemort like no one wants to say it and i don't think it's explained at all in the movies but it's explained in the books that it summons death eaters if you say it yeah which is why everyone's terrified to say it, and the only people who aren't is Dumbledore, mostly, and Harry, because he doesn't understand the full weight of it, but Dumbledore, because yeah. he's not afraid of Death Eaters. And I think that's an interesting thing that you could have just explained in one line.
0: But even all the times that Harry has said Voldemort throughout the entire book series, and Death Eaters have never shown up, is that because during that period of time where Voldemort was MIA, that the Death Eaters had pretty much dispersed? I, I think thought so. it
1: was, yes.
0: But then... He comes back... What was when? When is he reborn? In the fifth one. Mm-hmm. The fourth one. Okay. Yeah, that makes sense. Okay, gotcha. I answer my own question. Okay, cool.
1: I think it was really cool how in the first one, Ron tries to do that spell on his rat in the carriage and it doesn't work. Turn this stupid fat rat yellow.
0: Yeah. Because
1: he's not a rat. And that's not explained for two more movies.
0: Yes. Yeah.
1: That's why that doesn't work.
0: He still manages to turn him into a cup
1: very poor a rat
0: tail yeah do you think that had to do with the fact
1: that he had a broken wand
0: no well that he had a broken wand but also that he's not actually a rat well he's the an thing animagus.
1: the thing with that spell is it's not trying to turn a rat into a cup it's trying to turn whatever it's pointing at into a cup
0: yeah
1: the fact that he's on the train he specifically t- says turn this rat and that's why it doesn't work
0: mm.
1: yeah i think that's yeah it's different
0: interesting very good foreshadowing. Yes. Let's talk about The Prisoner of Azkaban specifically. This is, I remember going to the movies with my dad. I was in grade I went to three. the drive-in.
1: We went. This is the last movie I went to the drive-in cinema. Mm.
0: That would have been creepy as shit to watch at the drive-in. It I was I pretty was cool. Was dark outside? Yes. I
1: think the only one of these <laughs> movies that I haven't seen in the cinemas was the sixth one. Mm. I've seen every other one else in the cinemas.
0: I went to the movies with my dad because I was in grade three. I won student of the month. We got a movie pass. I said, dad, we're going to see Harry Potter. What a flex. You just had to throw that in there. Yes, I did. I was, <laughs> yes. Um, So we went and I remember like, I was so excited. And even though there were some parts that were like scary as shit to an eight year old, I was like, I still want to see it though. I still want to see it though. You know what I mean? I was so into it.
1: Well, I think Prisoner of Azkaban is one of my favourite ones to watch because we spoke about cinematography. Um, There's a lot of great one-shots and there's a lot of, like... It's a beautifully done film. There's some shots Mm. where the camera goes through the clock tower and some of the shots of the castle. Um, You get to see more of the castle than the first two.
0: Yeah, I I think it's good for character development also.
1: It is. like The actors have settled into their characters better than the first two. And I don't know what it is about, like, the way they did their hair in this, but there's a bunch of good-looking people in this one. Like, they they look mm-hmm. more like they've really grown up.
0: Yeah. Um, well, and I said, I like, because this is the first movie where we actually start to see them, like, wearing regular clothes at sometimes, and not wearing their uniforms properly, which exactly they would, because they're teenagers.
1: Yeah, they were always wearing robes in the first two, weren't they?
0: Yeah. So like you said they're settling into it they're being regular teenagers. One of my favorite scenes of the whole series was the one where they're eating the candies in the dorm. All the boys yeah. are eating candies. Uh, yep. Yeah. Cuz I'm just like it's so silly and of course that's exactly what they'd be doing cuz they're all 13-year-old boys, mm-hmm. yeah. you know. I think it's really good for like Hermione's character development also because it's where she kind of starts to lean into this band of misfits that is the three of them as mm. a trio. Because in the first one she's like very pompous. Pompous. And- yeah. Um, you know, you can't do that, like follow the rules and regulations and that sort of stuff. The second one it's a little bit, you know, like her development throughout the thing is where she gets more courage and she does yeah. more like, you know, adventurous things. She's she's less of a straight arrow here. Yeah. And it's where she really starts to be more comfortable with that. Yeah. Yeah, and can
1: I just say, as someone who's a very similar age to all these actors, I had a real thing for Hermione for the longest time.
0: <laughs> Tell us why, Brenton? Because she's hot.
1: She's a good-looking chick.
0: Yeah, yeah. yeah, she's smart.
1: I swear that Draco was a different actor because he looks so different from the second one to the third. But it's just Tom Felton grew up a bit; <laughs> didn't have his hair slicked back like an idiot.
0: Yeah, yeah. He's really good as well, Tom Felton. Mm-hmm. Yeah, to make you hate. That character, and then what really annoys me is that they're trying to make you feel sorry for him in the last the couple of yeah. books, yeah, and I'm, like, or oh, last couple of movies as well. I'm like, I don't feel sorry for you, you snivelly little bitch. Yeah, like I get it, and I mean, I think too, if we wanted to go analyze it a bit, he's Lucius Malfoy's son. I reckon he doesn't get a whole lot of praise, you know, so he's like a bully because he's trying you to get what he's that. not getting, you know. Um, but at the same time. He's a wank. <laughs> oh <So laughs> <a> yeah, wank. <laughs> He gets enough praise from his mum. He's, like, quite wrapped in cotton wool, and she, yeah, you know, yeah. dotes on him. Absolutely.
1: I really quite liked the elements of time travel and the mystery of Sirius Black. Like, you didn't know who this character was or where he was or what his capabilities Which were. Which, again,
0: wasn't explained until later on in the movie why she was, like, how she got it, what it was doing, and... The, the, the time turner. Yeah. And how it didn't it benefit Dumbledore in some aspect. Oh, I don't remember. I don't think so. She was doing it because she wanted to take more classes. It's a very trippy aspect of that movie. Is yeah. That you're like, oh, this is what that is, and that's how that happened, and yeah. oh, it was them all along. There was a, Yeah, there was a he lot was of- He was his own Patronus. Yeah, there was a lot of what moments yeah. in this. One of the biggest ones being the Peter Pettigrew reveal mm-hmm. and the- Oh my god, Sirius Black isn't actually a bad guy. Mm. Yeah. Also I think it's really sad where he's standing on the bank of that lake and he's like, My dad will come. He's gonna come, you're gonna see him, he's right there and then he realizes that like I actually have to be my own hero. Which mm. is kind of um
1: thread of the whole series.
0: Yeah, it really is. And yeah. it's like he's he's gonna come, he's gonna he's gonna he's gonna save me, don't worry. And it's like, nah, sorry. Sorry, mate. He did. He did. <laughs> you see it a lot throughout the whole series. Like, he's so desperately wanting to cling to those irrational thoughts of, well, maybe this will happen. His, his perception on reality in regards to his family, and he keeps thinking that they'll come back and they'll come save him throughout the entire series, from book one to book seven. He does, it's, doesn't he? It, it's quite... Yeah, his, he has some... Mental health issues. Well, and why wouldn't you? Yeah, you know what I mean. Like, and he's being traumatized again and again and again. Mm -hmm. And it must be hard to because even though he's pure blood, Harry is technically like a muggle-born student. Like he's Mm -hmm. he didn't grow up with magic, so everything's new to him. So there's things where he's like, it's hard because he has all this pressure. Yeah, and there's. There's things where he's like, well, maybe magic can work this way, you know. Whereas like someone like Ron, he'd be like, no, it can't, mate, mm-hmm. you know. Yeah.
1: There's a couple of things in Prisoner of Azkaban that I that are explained in the books that I wish they had put just in the movie. Just as a line, um, one of the main ones is they never explain who the Marauders map was, like who the yes. four Moony, Wormtail, Padfoot, and Prongs.
0: Where we just know because we've read the books. Yeah, if you've read the books, it's
1: obviously Lupin, Pettigrew, Sirius Black, and James James. Potter. And it's interesting enough, they all die in reverse order of what they appear on the map.
0: Do you think that's just a coincidence?
1: I don't know. It would be a pretty good coincidence. Um, And there's also explaining what the Shrieking Shack is. Like It was built for Lupin by Dumbledore so that he had somewhere to go every month to turn into a werewolf. Like, the noises mm-hmm. of the Shrieking Shack were Lupin when he was at school.
0: Which is crazy.
1: That's how he was kept... Like That's how Sirius Black was getting in and out of the castle. There's just a lot there that isn't really explained.
0: Yeah. Mm, you're right. Yeah. um, This is where we're first introduced to Dementors, which is...
1: Which is obviously the Grim Reaper, right? Like, that's such a...
0: Well, but it's a really amazing metaphor actually because she created them based around her depression which is like i think that's such a powerful powerful statement to say they make you feel as though you'll never be cheerful again like all the happiness has been drained out of the world like what a when you realize that that was based on a real experience you're like whoa um this movie like we were talking about has a lot of fun elements this is where we have the night bus can we just say oh don't get me started on the night bus. Can we just say that Dudley's eyes are so close together? Oh, my God. They Francis are. They that. are. Because
1: yeah. I googled what that actor looks like now, and he lost a lot of weight after it, but, man, his eyes Did are so close eyes together.
0: They Go got closer together. After he lost weight? Yeah. Oh, no. Yes. Because
1: <laughs> <laughs> he had fat in the middle of them.
0: <laughs> yeah. <laughs> oh, it was holding them no. apart. <laughs> oh, Lord. Um, um, Unfortunate-looking person, yeah.
1: Um, You know the the lady who plays the aunt? In Prison of Azkaban, she's that same actress who played Trunchbull from Matilda.
0: Aunt Marge. Yeah. yeah. Okay. Oh, yeah. You know Matilda? She's such a bitch. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh but there's something have... wrong with the bitch, then there's something wrong with the pup. Yeah.
1: I could quote this movie for days.
0: Yeah, hey. Yeah. Take
1: it away, Ernie. Take it
0: away, Ernie. <laughs> I love that. I think, honestly, this is... I wish... Alfonso Cuarón could have done the rest of them because I feel like this one had the best feel.
1: Yeah. It would have been interesting if they had a different director. Like, the first two was Christopher Columbus, who was very good at dealing with child actors.
0: Mm-hmm. He did
1: The Goonies. He did uh, Mrs. Doubtfire. He did the Home Alone movies. Um, he's very good at working with child actors, and he got that sort of fun element out element. of them. Yeah. And then there was Alfonso Cuarón, and then I don't remember who did the fourth one, but from the fifth one onwards, it was David Yates. It might have even been David Yates for the the fourth one, and he also did the Fantastic Beasts movies uh, and the whole series there. Yeah,
0: he did funny shit. Yeah, I really would have liked him to do the Goblet of Fire. Alfonso caron, caron? Yeah. yeah, that would have been because I as. really liked the Goblet of Fire. The whole premise of it, the aspect, the magic and all that sort of stuff. I really would have liked him to have done the fifth one. Also, I really need to go, so you're going to have to finish this with Okay. Me.
1: Yeah, we'll continue on. Do you have anything yeah. else to say, Jessica?
0: No, thanks for having me. Thanks for letting me um dive in and talk about nostalgic things and making us all feel good. Yes. Really appreciate it. It's a good good one. I was really happy to be on this one. Cool. Yeah, it was a fun one.
1: Thanks for being on the episode, because I think we covered the, the general story arcs and the things we liked and didn't like, um, even though if we can't break down all the movies with you. And we went through all the actors and stuff, so that's fun as well, so... Thanks for that.
0: Thanks for having me. See ya.
1: I think a very brilliant thing that J.K. Rowling was was able to do with this school is constantly being able to add in a strong adult character to the school each year by replacing the Defence Against the Dark Arts teacher every single year. You're allowing a spot for a new influential character to be introduced, which wouldn't make sense otherwise.
0: Yeah, very naturally.
1: Yeah, it's very naturally, yeah. So I think that's actually really very quite clever. well done, yeah. And it's not shown in the Deathly Hallows at all, but there was uh, two evil Death Eater twins that
0: mm-hmm. were the
1: Defense Against the Dark Arts teachers in the seventh one.
0: How did they get there?
1: Uh, because Snape was headmaster in the seventh mm-hmm. one, and he's meant to be a Death Eater. So there was quite a lot of Death Eater influence throughout the... S- the Deathly Hallows. Does that mean that Harry, Ron, and Hermione didn't graduate?
0: Do yes, they have to go back and, and always... do their seventh? I would hope that they did.
1: Yeah. Which is, it's not explained anyway. Maybe they didn't. No. He couldn't be an aura otherwise.
0: Yeah, I was going to say, I don't think Hermione would let herself not graduate. Yeah,
1: that's a good point. But that's just um, not explained at all. Was their seventh year not eventful at all?
0: I just, I wonder, why would Snape allow those two in? Like, is it to keep up his. Cover in his image?
1: I think so, like, yeah. There was a okay. bunch of Death Eaters in the in Hogwarts in the seventh one.
0: Fucking full on.
1: Yeah. Right on. Also, I'm pretty sure JK Rowling has something against blondes because she really doesn't like them. Draco and the Malfoys obviously are blonde. The Dursleys were meant to be blonde. And it's very uh evident. Except
0: for Uncle Vernon, he was supposed Except for Uncle to be... Vernon. Yeah.
1: And that these evil twins that are mentioned throughout a few of them uh, They're also blonde. So all these people that she hates and despises, they're all blonde.
0: Interesting. Quite interesting.
1: So, thanks again to Jessica for being on uh, the first half of this episode and giving a brief overall discussion of the series. And we will be continuing with The Goblet of Fire. This is one of the first ones where they really had to trim a lot out of the book because this is where the book started to get like exponentially large massive yeah, yeah. so there's a lot of stuff in there that's kind of just like they had to you know unless they were going to split this thing into two or three movies you had to make some sacrifices which are forgivable um and a lot of it is also just thrown in a few things here and there for the people who have read the books but don't really mean anything to just normal moviegoers Um, just to try to make those jumps and leaps Um, because they're really quite big. There's a lot of passing of time in the Goblet of Fire and you see that throughout the whole school year just because there's so much that happens in it.
0: Well, yeah, like you're like, oh, geez, it's been months. Yeah. We cut scene and it's been months um, because they had to.
1: Well, this one starts with him already at the Weasleys, which you hadn't seen before. This is the first one where he didn't start at the Dursleys.
0: The Goblet of Fire.
1: Yeah. He wakes up in Ron's bedroom and his scar is burning. And then Hermione tries to wake up the boys because they have to go to the Quidditch World Cup.
0: Oh. They must have done that well. I didn't remember that. Yeah. Not interesting.
1: And there's, there's quite a big thread in this about house elves. This is the return yeah. of Dobby and Winky. Yeah, his Who's Whose was Winky again? Was that Fudge?
0: I think so.
1: I don't remember, but there's quite a lot of house elves in this, and it's kind of boring in the book. Like, it's there's so much. It's talking about how all the magical food that appears on the tables is prepared by the house elves in a kitchen somewhere, and it's just moved onto the tables. And a lot of the students don't appreciate that or realize that. And there's a big thread about Hermione. Like, she's a big house elf activist. Like, she's like, like trying to give them advocate. their f- yeah, yeah. She's trying to give them their freedom. Wasn't there like a class president kind of thread as well where people are, like voting for the popularity of other people? there was badges I don't and stuff There was a lot in there that wasn't really it was sort of just explaining the day to day life Going of these people, of, yeah, yeah, what was happening in Hogwarts this year
0: That wasn't touched on at all in the movies because
1: it wasn't really it necessary wasn't, to the main yeah. plotline
0: I wanted to make a note of I hate how much hair there is in this movie i
1: don't know why they did that yeah everybody is, is so <laughs>
0: hairy yeah it is like go get a haircut fuck it was it was just and i remember seeing the posters for it too and i'm like y'all look like girls like oh my goodness yeah. maybe they're um, just trying
1: to make them seem like they're getting older it's the passage of time uh, teenagers sort of just go through a phase where they do that i guess
0: i didn't appreciate it too much hair
1: I do like how they had the Yule ball. I like that scene and the way it's described in the book, because it's showing this wizardry kind of world, this magical world, sort of in the way that you would you don't think of them as. Like they're still a bunch of teenagers. they still have to go through finding dates and dealing with you know girlfriends and boyfriends and things, you know. Mm. Um, and this whole setting has been set in a medieval castle. And you don't expect a rock band to be in the medieval castle, you know? So it yeah. kind of breaks that up a bit. And it's a little refreshing because you get to see them out of their context. And I kind of like that. Yeah. Did you like Goblet of Fire?
0: It explored a lot more of the castle grounds. So it, it was really cool because Alfonso Caron kind of expanded the size of the grounds. Yeah,
1: he drastically changed the way things looked. Even the Whomping Willow, Hagrid's Hut. I don't know why he managed to do that.
0: But it worked because it it made the castle grounds a lot bigger, so it allowed for um, some exploration in the other movies. Particularly in this one, you've got the new where the the first challenge is held. You've got the new arena with the dragons on the mountainside, Mm. away from the castle. So that made for some interesting scenes. um, And that that third challenge
1: was meant to be the the hedge maze was meant to be in the Quidditch field. But that doesn't really make sense. Why would you ruin your Quidditch field?
0: Yeah. Well, it's not like they need to be on the ground ever.
1: Yeah. You know what I think would have been great? If J.K. Rowling had played Rita Skeeter? Because she seems Uh. like she's the kind of woman that could do that. And it's a fun character. It's not a big character. It's a side thing that's fun and ridiculous. And it would have been a really nice cameo. And I think she should have... She should have opted to advantage. try and be in that in that role, yeah. Because you don't need to be a great actor to be able to do that. You just need to have fun with it.
0: That character, because she comes back in later books, and I love the way it's handled. Was it, or was it this one? When was she turned into a beetle?
1: Oh, I don't remember.
0: But she was. Hermione turned her into a beetle. You're like, I think it was in the seventh book. She's like, you're okay. getting too nosy. Go away. Yeah. <laughs> so she turns her into a beetle and keeps her in a jar. And
1: she's obviously like... A depiction of the media and how they run with stories and don't care about the truth and all the rest of it. So,
0: Mm. there's some good, there's some good like metaphors and representations in here, definitely.
1: Apart from, say, Chamber of Secrets, Goblet of Fire definitely has the most plot holes.
0: I would say so. There's a lot going on, and there's a lot of like the fact that you're introducing two other schools and these challenges. Yeah, knowing that
1: there's other schools is cool.
0: It makes sense, though. Like, if there's going to be anywhere where you're going to have some issues with the plot, it would be this one.
1: Well, the main one that I have a problem with is Barty Crouch Junior. is meant to be Mad Eye Moody for the entire year. How do yes. you pull that off, for starters? Like, you need to be a brilliant wizard, a great actor. You have to understand the relationships that Moody has with everyone. Also, how is that easier than just you've already Confusing got the
0: Imperio curse.
1: Well, no, you've already got Barty Crouch in the walls of Hogwarts. You've got Harry aside several times throughout the story. Why don't you just, you know, turn his breakfast bowl into a portkey and send him off? You know what I mean? Why do you have to go through all this rigmarole trying to get Harry through all three of the challenges just so that he could touch the cup at the end? Like, it's like, yeah, there's a lot easier ways to try and get you to Voldemort. Like, what? It didn't really make any sense. The fact that he's keeping Moody in a chest in his office and he's constantly just drinking Polyjuice. It's very illogical plan. The villain's plan doesn't make any sense in this movie. But, yeah, its it kind of has to be overlooked.
0: That particular one. Otherwise, you'd have no plot.
1: Yeah, and I don't like, like how... You'd
0: have no story. Like,
1: the very next few movies, Harry is acting like he's got this rapport with Moody. Even though that the rapport that he had was with a body Crouch Junior. Moody,
0: he gets to know him a little bit more in the fifth book.
1: In the Order of Phoenix,
0: through the Order. Okay. So I think that's because you're saying in the seventh one he rocks up and he just talks to him like he knows him. By that point, he would because yeah. the Weasleys and Harry and Hermione spent a lot of time at Number Twelve Grimmauld Place in the fifth book.
1: Is Moody in the sixth one? I don't think so. A lot of people regard the fifth one, Order of the Phoenix, as the best movie of all of them. And I i don't know. I don't, I don't think I agree with that. I think there are the ones that are funner and more magical and better movies. But I do really quite like Order of the Phoenix.
0: I think Prisoner of Azkaban was really the best one. The Order yeah. of the Phoenix, for me... I'm just honestly I get to this point where I'm like what actually happens in this movie?
1: Order of the like Phoenix. I'm just,
0: yeah, I'm having to sit back and think about okay, it's kind of a regular year back at Hogwarts. This is where Harry is starting to have
1: Except some the ministry issues. is like affecting Hogwarts more because what why is it again? Why is the ministry stepping in if they don't believe that Voldemort is back?
0: To stop Dumbledore from doing anything rash. Right. And Fudge is also off his tree, so.
1: This one actually had uh, the centaur from the first one that saves Harry from Voldemort. He's, he's drinking the blood of the unicorn. He comes back as the teacher in the fifth one. And they cut yeah. that out because it's for timing things. <laughs> the well, fifth one's a massive book.
0: After Umbridge fires Trelawney, right? That's
1: right, yeah. Yeah. But in the movie, she's saved by McGonagall? Yes. And that didn't happen in the book?
0: No, you got that mixed up. It happens in both. Okay. She stays at the castle. Right, okay. Honestly, I have trouble remembering what happened in that movie. I know it's like Umbridge and everything, but I just forget. <laughs> I forget when it happens.
1: Yeah, this was the introduction of, well, you've got Luna Lovegood, you've got the prophecy. This is where mm. you first to see, I like the idea of like a team of people standing up against Voldemort. You get to see Sirius Black not as a prisoner, and he's like... You know, this a sharp is where dressed we got man.
0: Dumbledore's army.
1: Yeah, why was it called Dumbledore's army? Because I'm like, why wouldn't you just call it the Order of the Phoenix? Because Sirius says you guys are the new generation of the Order. So I would think that you would call it the Order of the Phoenix.
0: Because you don't want it, they didn't want it to be associated. I don't, I think it's explained more in the book. I don't entirely remember why.
1: I don't like how the room of requirement is like just a MacGuffin where it's like, oh, I'm going to put something in there just to explain how you managed to find a place where no one can come across and it's it's equipped for exactly what you need. It was kind of just something that she needed to add in there as a storytelling trope.
0: But it comes up again and again.
1: Yeah. Only from this point onwards.
0: Mm. And
1: again, it works as a MacGuffin. as like, we need a place that could be used as anything.
0: I thought that's where they were keeping the mirror of Arasad.
1: I didn't think so.
0: Okay. Maybe that's um, just me.
1: I do like the scene where everyone's got their Patronuses.
0: Yeah. However, in that scene, I'm like, like all these teenagers could produce fully formed Patronuses on the first go. Yeah,
1: yeah. It's meant to be like a big accomplishment to be able to do that.
0: I get why they did it because of movie restrictions, but...
1: Can I just say, in the third one, where they've got the boggart, why does the Patronus work against something that's pretending to be a Dementor? You would think the Patronus only works against actual Dementors?
0: I don't know. I think it's just a protection charm. So it would work against anything, really.
1: Okay, so that's what Patronus is meant to be. Yeah. Alright, I like that explanation.
0: It's like your. It's, like it's been you're, a while since I've read the. Post. Honestly, it's like your totem. It's like your protector, your guardian. Yeah. You
1: know? Yeah, I guess it is like a totem, isn't it? Yeah. I think the sixth one is one of the better ones for story progression. You, it, it progresses a lot. It's a big jump between learning about the prophecy and the ministry, actually realizing that Voldemort is back in the fifth one, all the way to the Deathly Hallows where. Everyone is panicked. There's Death Eaters everywhere. Harry, Ron, and Hermione are running around at Horcruxes. That sixth one is a crucial element, and I really quite like the way it's depicted. It's really quite a funny movie.
0: The sixth movie? Yes. I like it because, honestly, it feels like the first regular, uneventful year at Hogwarts in a really long time.
1: Maybe that's what it is, yeah.
0: You know, like, nothing's happening. You don't have people coming in and changing everything.
1: Yeah, Slughorn's, like, like, actually a teacher. It's been a few years since we've had one of those.
0: Yeah, like, honestly, it kind of feels like the Chamber of Secrets in terms of the way things happen, you know? And it hasn't felt like that in a really long time.
1: Actually, since Philosopher's Stone with Quirrell as the Defense Against the Dark Arts teacher, Mm -hmm. it's the only one with the actual teacher because Gilderoy Lockhart wasn't a teacher, Yep. Umbridge wasn't. Moody wasn't.
0: Lupin was.
1: Oh, Lupin was, I guess, yeah. Dumbledore's got pretty bad judgment when he's hiring his teachers. There must be a really shortage of teachers out there.
0: I wonder, like, who actually gets to decide?
1: I don't like that whole Gilderoy Lockhart trait throughout all of Chamber of Secrets because everyone knows he's a fraud and yet they don't do anything about it.
0: Yeah, and he's like, of all the classes that you're teaching where you'd want someone who knows what they're doing, like, really.
1: And they don't close the school down ever. It's like they know all the students are in danger. There is a basilisk getting around. Students are, like... Very close to death. They w- they'd only been petrified on a technicality, basically, and yet they st- won't. They won't send people home. They won't close down the school. They know Lockhart. And they Lockhart. talk about
0: it like four times. They're like, the school will need to be closed. Yeah. Oh, we won't do it though. There's
1: that part where McGonagall is like, "Oh, Lockhart, you've been saying all along that you, you've always known where the entry of the Chamber of Secrets are. I'll let you deal with it." And everyone just goes along their way, even though she gives that smirk, like she knows that he's a fraud. Everyone yeah. does. Anyway, that's why Chamber of Secrets is flawed for me.
0: I'm wondering if she's like, well, we're kind of fucked already anyway. Might as well let him go and like knock himself out of the way and then we'll go deal with it. It
1: seems very negligent. I think Dumbledore has some very poor judgment throughout this entire series.
0: I like to just ignore that because I don't like to think as Dumbledore as as having poor judgment.
1: I think the sixth one shows Dumbledore as a brilliant wizard better than any other one. That's definitely got that going for it. Because he planned that death with Snape. He had it for a reason. Uh, and I think that's him really thinking ahead as to what is important. And I'm not.
0: I think, though, like, it must piss Harry off that, like, everything has to do with him. And this is the final instance of where people are actually starting to, like, talk to him about it.
1: Yeah. And even then, like, the it's dark. like... Oh, he's a, yeah, he's a child.
0: It's like can you please just tell me what I need to know? And that really was evident in the fifth book when Dumbledore wouldn't talk to him because he was worried he would, like,
1: yeah. s-
0: spark that rage in him or whatever. Um,
1: Do you think Dumbledore's a dick for leaving Harry with the Dursleys in the first place or ju- instead of just, like, uh, leaving him with a magical orphanage or something else? Well,
0: what I was wondering is, where are his grandparents?
1: Yeah. They wouldn't like, have been wouldn't... muggle-born. They must have been dead.
0: Leave him with the Potters. You know?
1: I I think the trait was that he had no other family. This was it. Yeah. But Dumbledore knew that he was being abused in several ways. He was left under the cupboard into the stairs for years. He was their slave basically. And Dumbledore knew all of this. And I just think that's
0: How kind would of you a have known nerve, all all of that? It?
1: Well, Dumbledore has had people watching him.
0: Mrs. Fig.
1: Well, that is well, Mrs. Fig came after the fourth one.
0: Mrs. Fig was always there in the book. She was she was okay. talking about in the first one. Well, there's book.
1: that. Uh Dumbledore he even says in the sixth one, he's like, Oh, you've come a long way since that boy under the cupboard under the stairs or whatever. So he knew what he was leaving him in. Mm. And that's why McGonagall was saying that to him in the first one. He's like, Are you are you sure? Like you know what these people are like. And Dumbledore's like, oh, there's, it's the only family he's got. Because everyone knew what the Dursleys were like. I don't know, I just... I don't agree yeah, with Dumbledore sometimes.
0: But it allows us to bond with him better because he's been so hard done by.
1: Yeah. Well, yeah, he, he is the audience character because he's coming from a muggle family and going mm-hmm. into the Wizarding World. So you kind of needed that character to be like that. Mm. I think the sixth one is really fun when... Harry drinks the Felix Felicis. Is that what it is? Felix Felicis? Felix. Liquid luck.
0: Yeah, I think so. Yeah.
1: I don't know. I just think it's a really fun trait. It's 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 kind of an enjoyable movie before it gets, like, crazy dark.
0: Mm Mm-hmm. Well, just, like, the interactions that you see with the slug club, even.
1: Yeah, you see a lot of, like, teenage back-and-forth romantic sort of things. Everyone's playing jokes on each other and... I kind of well, like that. This is the that. one
0: where you've got Ron and Lavender Brown. I remember reading about that too. I'm pretty sure I remember like cringing at some of those yeah. interactions, even reading them as a teenager. I'm like, oh God, have some self-respect, woman. Um,
1: so then there's the seventh one, The Deathly Hallows, was broken into two movies... I think it kind of needed to be because that is a massive book and every page has some sort of revelation that is brilliantly written.
0: It was just, I remember I read that book in three days. I couldn't really? put it down. Yeah. I couldn't put it down. I would sit there. I sat in my room, I remember, one day for like six hours and I before I looked up and was like, holy shit, I've been sitting here reading for that long. Um,
1: it's probably the best book
0: there was no filler. There yeah, no, no that's
1: that's a good point. That's a, There yeah. is no filler.
0: There was no anything. Every page, like, I feel like to fully understand everything, like, you gotta highlight and go back and mark things and be like, you know, like, it was mm. just, there was so much information in there. And that said, I feel like I can't do justice to it in this review because it's been so long since I read the book and we haven't watched the movies yet. <laughs> well,
1: you've seen the movies before.
0: Long time ago. They're full okay. of stuff, Brenton.
1: It has a lot on Dumbledore and his history and his family, Dumbledore's family. Yeah. That's not touched on in the movies, and I remember that being very important information. There was some stuff in there that I remember reading, um I don't remember off the top of my head.
0: Well, I think part of it was such an issue because Rita Skeeter released a book. There was like a tell-all about Dumbledore's That's life. right, yeah. Yeah. Um, that was a lot of falsities. And so I think that's where learning that information became important because it raised questions about, well, is this true? Is this not true? This can't be true. What's the truth? Mm. You know?
1: Deathly Hallows Part 1 definitely feels like half a movie. And it's very strange to me because it's the first Harry Potter movie that doesn't have Hogwarts. It's the only one that doesn't have Hogwarts.
0: Well, and it's It was filmed. I didn't like the way it was filmed. It was all artsy. It was pretty artsy. It was like an indie movie. Cinematography with, like, landscape shots. I feel like you could have done it more classically, and I feel like, sorry, not sorry, like, this is the end of a saga. Like, focus on the story, you know, and not on making it avant-garde.
1: Artsy, yeah. I guess they kind of had to work with it sort of thing. Um, There are some elements in here where I, like, where Ron sort of leaves because he's angry um and i really just like watching the relationship between harry and hermione because Mm -hmm. they're just really good friends and they have been since the beginning Mm -hmm. Um, when i first started watching them and reading them i thought harry is going to end up with the girl because that's usually what you do you get your protagonist you got your best friend and you got the girl you know and that's it it's not like that at all in this series um and it's pushed aside the fact that Harry's not interested in Hermione quite early on. So by the time you get to the seventh one, they're just really good friends. And I like watching that relationship. It's well, it, They kind of need each other.
0: Like, you know that it's not going to become anything. Yeah. You're starting to wonder if Hermione and Ron are finally going to get their stuff dealt with. But it's a side. I'm with you. It's kind of refreshing. Yeah. And to to know so early on that, like, okay, this isn't... Something that's going to be followed. Let's just forget about it and focus on the more important things.
1: I remember the Battle of Hogwarts written in the book was a massive thing. Like it was, it was a lot going on. I remember it had like the spiders that was from the f- the forest in the second one that came back to the battle. It had Hagrid with his giants. There was a lot of giants like wrecking the castle. There was a lot more to it than what was shown in the movie. Um, Deathly Hallows was fucking dense.
0: I'm thinking like that scene had chapters and chapters devoted to it. Yep.
1: And you were going between
0: people. You know what I mean? Like you were, you'd cut to what's Molly Weasley doing? What's Lupin doing? What's Harry doing? What's Ron doing? You know, what's Neville doing? You'd bounce around between people and it's all happening at the same time. It was compelling as hell, that book. Yeah. Like, she wrote it so well, she must have written it and rewritten it and edited it and revised, because it never feels like too much. You know, you just... The only thing that feels like too much, honestly, is, like, the Peveril stuff. Um, but it's necessary information.
1: I think my favourite book series of all time is the Harry Potter series, and I think Deathly Hallows is the best Harry Potter book. Hmm. Even though yeah, the first one does have its charm with introducing you to this world and the innocence behind it it's a, it's a children's book the first one is a children's book and the th- the last one is not um the last one
0: is very much like an adult young adults book
1: yeah deathly hallows is beautifully written and it's a dense book and it is absolutely essential reading for anyone who is a fan of the series but the movies aren't fun at all, and they're not supposed to be. They're meant to be a concluding chapter, and I think it needed to be in two parts, even though part one is pretty boring.
0: Well, it's all necessary information. And I just... I've probably said this already.
1: We're not doing it justice.
0: <laughs> I can't imagine going into this movie series without having read the books. From books yeah. onward, like, I honestly feel you're just wasting your time. They were made for fans. Well,
1: I had... I read the first four... And Mm -hmm. then the movies came out, and then I finished the last ones. So, there was a lot there where I'm like, oh, that so makes sense now. Like, there was a lot of revelations that I had um, because I sort of, I read some of the books before the movies and then watched the movies before the books and other times, so.
0: Sorry, not sorry. I know, at least I am totally biased. I loved these books. They were like... They're like part of my identity growing up. You know, it was part of my, an essential part of my childhood. It, it, and
1: it was for a lot of people. Is,
0: it was the first series, book series that I read. It made me fall in love with fantasy. It's like mystical fantasy is still my favorite genre of book. I've read many, many more long series, like multi-book series of fantasy books because of th- these, these books. And I recommend that everybody read these. I've heard arguments about, like, it's just a rip-off of Lord of the Rings, it's just...
1: No, I think it's, we were talking a few episodes ago when we did Back to the Future, and we were talking about how Rick and Morty is just to play on Doc and Marty, and we were talking about how it's, it's really nice to see that they've created something new from a previous property, and there's a completely different things now what they've become so yeah yeah, harry potter takes a lot from mythology and lord of the rings but it's created something that stands alone and is beautiful as a masterpiece of its own even though it took inspiration from other places i think that's completely forgivable and they're currently going through releasing the illustrated versions of those books i really want to read reread them again with the illustrated versions
0: like, it's always interesting to see how somebody else imagines something that you have. You know?
1: Yeah. It's different. Well, I read quite a lot when I was a kid, and other books felt like they were being written to kids, middle school kids, right? hmm J.K. Rowling didn't dumb it down. She used big words. It made you go look at the dictionary and thesaurus and be like, what does this actually mean? And I kind of like that. It was They were written really, really well that's why it stood out to me
0: that's another thing like I was told as a young teenager like that I had an extensive vocabulary and I know that my extensive vocabulary came from these books this was the beginning of intellectual development for me as a child you know they had such a profound effect on me making it sound like they changed my life I mean they (laughs) didn't but you know they're important
1: I think the movie series is one of the better adaptations of have seen, and it's understandable towards the end of the series that they stray away from the books just because they had to, because they're very big books. I like Prisoner of Azkaban. it's probably the best. But
0: I would I like say if you, look at, if you look at movie adaptations, compare, sorry to do it again, Lord of the Rings and Harry Potter. Lord of the Rings was made to put Lord of the Rings on screen. And you can sit there and you can watch those movies and you can have the whole story and know it without reading the books. Harry Potter was made to be a film adaptation of the books. However, it was by and large made for fans. People who already knew the stories. I feel like Lord of the Rings was not made for people who already knew the stories.
1: Yeah, that's interesting, actually. Yeah.
0: Also huge Lord of the Rings fan. Haven't read the books yet. We have been Danielle and Brenton this week. Thanks for joining us. Feel free to subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. Uh, Check us out on all the socials. We're most active on Instagram. Uh, You can also follow us on Facebook or comment on SoundCloud and YouTube or support us on Patreon. We've got every episode uncut and unedited as well as bonus episodes every month. Um, and polls voting on what you would like to hear in the future and all of that extra content is unlocked and free to everyone it's just our platform for that content so you can check it out over on WeRDB on patreon and until next week thanks for listening